So, Gil, uh, this is a different episode. This is something that, that we haven't done. We're re-releasing uh, an episode. We're... Um, a special episode, which is uh, basically our tribute to a former guest uh, who left us, uh, the very, very funny Jay Thomas. And uh, this episode was actually, we were just talking about it off mic, one of the one of the ones that we recorded at your kitchen table. Uh, yes. Yeah, um, one of those classic kitchen tables. A <laughs> uh, kitchen table. A hot, a hot, hot day when we had to keep the windows closed to keep the street noise off the mic, and Jay was sweating. And and I remember, too, it was hot, but I think it was also, wasn't it pouring rain, too? Yes, yeah, it was steaming and, hot and, and pouring. And uh, uh, before he left, Jay Thomas asked me if I could uh, give him a dry pair of socks. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So I I want to know the next of kin, if you find a pair of brown socks there, <laughs> those are mine. If you could put I them think, in an envelope. I think Jay would appreciate the darkness of that yeah. comment. A very, very funny man. Oh, yeah. One of the first people we asked to do the show, I actually asked him in the green room at The View, and he he said, I love Gilbert. Yeah. And he was, and he was at your house the next day. And, uh, you know, of course, that the Lone Ranger story. Oh, and know, the, he's like a million words a second. But just truly yeah. funny yes. and edgy. And we got we hope you guys enjoy this episode. There's there's a little bit of everything uh, on it. Um, but uh, or or well, this is this is a different version of the Lone Ranger story than oh, you're yes. used to hearing on the uh, <laughs> on Letterman. He embellishes it and adds a little bit of uh, a couple of extra twists to it. But uh, never a funnier guest in, in all the in all the shows that oh, we've yeah. done. This, this is one of those guests that you sit back, yeah. and just click, as you like the, to say, yeah. put the needle on the record and and, yes. and sit back, and off they go. And truly funny man and. Uh, uh, anyway, enjoy, and uh, we lost him uh, far too uh, far too young at sixty nine. Yeah. Rest in peace, Jay Thomas. Jay Thomas is a show business jack of all trades. He's appeared in movies like Mister Holland's Office and TV shows like Mork and Mindy and Cheers and Murphy Brown, for which he won three Emmys. He's also a popular and successful radio host and the star of the aptly named The Jay Thomas Show. So here to tell hilarious stories and to borrow a pair of my socks for some reason, it's Jay Thomas. Hi, Gilbert Gottfried with Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast here with my sidekick, Frank Santo Padre. And if you've never heard of Ray Thomas, that, that said, you've been... Le- right? oh, he's tired. Jay Thomas. Yeah, Ray. <laughs> oh, if you never idiot. heard of... Ray where you could call me Ray, <laughs> and you could call me Jay. Really? But you don't have to call me Johnson. <laughs> I will tell you, I'm now glad you were fired. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I am. Now, now, uh, Jay, uh, you've you've known me a while. Can you please uh, just talk about how great I am? uh, Are you hard of hearing? Is that why you yell like this? Yes. God forbid. (laughs) I have to put headphones on. Yes. And I hope these are noise canceling rather than... (laughs) All right. Well, I will tell you, it's lovely to be, you know, 
It's weird when you know someone as long as I, I know uh, Gilbert. Uh, uh, we were at the improv together uh, years ago, and I realized um, I didn't want to be a part of the group of individuals called comedians. I really found <laughs> all of them like, what? What is wrong with they're all unhappy and I come in there happy and telling jokes because I'm happy. <laughs> they're all miserable and Larry David is, you know, he'd throw a rope over the, you know, the rafters in the back and ha- want to hang himself. You know, everybody was crazy. Right? Um, you were actually fairly happy. You know, well, you lived I, with your mother, I remember. Yes, yes. Yeah, is she dead now, your mother? Uh, yes, oh, well. yes. Is that why you live here? Yes. All right. Yeah, I moved in here. And Dara has taken care, taken care of you like your mother did. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Pretty I, much. Yeah, but it's a really much. lovely apartment in a beautiful neighborhood where four guys asked me to move in. Uh, <laughs> good evening. Yes. <laughs> now, now, who are the other comics you remember back then? I remember um, guys that kind of didn't make it. Barry Diamond, remember him? Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, he had a great uh, joke. He said he was playing basketball in a neighborhood so rough, he went up for a layup, and a guy shot him in the knee. And I remember going, <laughs> you know, God, you know. Um, Episcopo uh, was there, who yes. was a good guy, and then became a complete asshole. Um, <laughs> and I think admits it, you know. Um, and then, you know, had these big muscles and said he never took any juice. And I said, Joe, I've been working out with weights my entire life. And unless I took something, I wouldn't look like you. He demand, you know, but he's on. Oh, no, I never took anything. So, so, uh, Joe, Joe, uh, Larry, David, he, he what, used- the Wayans brothers, I think were, oh, uh, were, were Keen and Ivory Wayans. Used yeah. to be one night I did a bit where I did the whole, um, the movie, uh, uh the TV show, um, um, Zorro. There's yeah. a television show Zorro. And I had a wooden horse and I had props and all this. And I ride the wooden horse around and I pretend I'm the big fat sergeant. And I ride out of the door and the door closes and I'm locked out of the improv. And by the time I got around to the front and came back on the stage, they'd put another comic on. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't wait for me to come back. <laughs> it's true. I came And then I come riding down the middle and I go and there's, you know, Somebody else who was a really good-looking comic. Um, he was in Boston, and he had testicular cancer. Oh yeah, <laughs> what's his name? What's his name? That way, I think it was Brant von Hoffman. Yeah, Brant yes. von Hoffman. Yes. Yeah, I remember him. They, they were nice guys. Yeah, he was known for testicular cancer. <laughs> yeah, he went and he gets testicular cancer, and I think I mentioned it on the stage. And you know, I was just developing this style of being an asshole, I guess. And there was a ball-headed guy in the front row. So I just worked this ball-headed guy over. <laughs> and it turns out it's Brant's dad who oh, didn't like the fact that he was a comedian or whatever. And he'd come to the show. And I said, well, why do you put, you know, your ball-headed fucking father in the front row? <laughs> who, by the way, his head looks like the, the testicle that's left. <laughs> oh, yeah. They hated me. No wonder. So that was that. And um, uh, we, uh, he became the president of HBO, uh, who was the manager. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Chris, Chris Albrecht. Chris Albrecht, yeah. Sure. So I know Chris. I, I see him every now and again. Restaurants, how you doing? And he's the head of, of HBO. Um, never calls me. You know, never. <laughs> nothing ever happens. Likes me and all that. One day I get a call from Chris Albrecht. Like at my home, called the agency or whatever. He says, Jay, I'm doing a, a show at uh, blah, blah, blah. Would you come and do it? I go, yeah, what is it? And he's, you know, women in film or something. He booked me to MC a free afternoon luncheon. Oh, women wow. in film. And that was it. 
he booked me for a free. I guess he figured I'd be the only MC available uh, that day. Yeah, it that, was weird. That you'd be so thrilled. That I did it. I him. went and did yes. it. You know, and there was you know whoever was there and women in film and you know I think my line there was I really loved Bonnie and Clyde and it was a chick flick with a happy ending. Uh, not Bonnie and Clyde, uh, Thelma and Louise. Oh, yes, yes. It was a chick flick with a happy ending, and they groaned because um, <laughs> in the end, they the two women yes, died yeah. in the car. Um, I thought that was funny, you know. And and uh, I said I never, I didn't go down on women during their period. I remember I said that. Uh, you know, Seems I don't like need the right room for that. Yeah, it was all bad. I, I can't believe. My, as my wife would say, "Well, of course she'll never abuse you ever." As long as you live with that kind of yeah. material, it's horrible. What didn't, you're didn't Albrecht wasn't he half of Albrecht and Zamuda? A, a to, comedy A to Z. Didn't he did do try a, to do some they, comedy for a while, yeah, right? Yeah, um, was, and yeah. then he was the manager, the the bartender right, kind of a guy right. over there. Yeah, right. yeah. And then um, Bud would open sometimes. Um, when you were there, did you always want to follow a singer? Who were those sad oh, oh, singers God. at the improv? Well, I remember she mainly wore catch, but Pat Benatar really? was a singer at one time. Oh, wow. And Patty Smythe. Holy shit. Yeah, they oh. were like the big singers. Fuck, can you say holy shit? Fuck shit. Okay. Cunt. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Rick Newman was managing Pat Benatar. And the, oh, she was uh, a yes. singing waitress That's yes. right, at catch. Wow. And there were a bunch of other singers who went absolutely nowhere. Yeah, and they would sing, you know, and the crowd is there and it'd be polite. And you're going, oh, you know, they couldn't wait. You know, they'd think anything was funny. And what I remember, when the singers would get off stage, or when they were ending and saying goodnight, the waitresses, for some reason, as a show of support, would start screaming, more, more. And I thought the audience is looking around going, we don't want to hear any more of this. We didn't come to a comedy club to hear singers. The, the waitresses yes, wanted to hear more yes, singing? Yes, yeah. Oh, my God. They must have been lesbians. Yeah. <laughs> we had to be lesbian singers, right? But, Jay, you, you said you were a comic. When you, you started out in New Orleans, you were doing other people's material. Do I have yeah, that right? I, yeah, I did. Uh, uh, in high school, I started imitating Bill Cosby and Woody Allen and and whoever because you know you get an album. Right. Uh, they weren't on TV all the time, right. and they were, and I would do that, and then I'd put my own stuff, you know, there in the middle, and I began to win talent shows and stuff. Uh, and then uh, I got hurt playing football, and it was devastating for me because that's all I really wanted to do. And so uh, a teacher said, "Look, we're having the." A talent show. And they were big deals. These big, you know, thousands of people would come over five nights to these talent shows. And so I emceed my high school talent show at Jesuit High School in New Orleans, and I won the talent show. Uh, I wasn't entered, and I won it. And so then other schools called, and so then I was taking uh, typing lessons at the YMCA, which was about six or eight blocks from the French Quarter. And I would go into the French Quarter, and I would say, can I tell jokes? And it would either be strippers would be there or uh, there was a, like a hoot nanny kind of a place mm -hmm. or whatever. And um, they would let me tell these, you know, my jokes. And I would sometimes stand in the um, where, where the go-go dancers uh, danced in like a cage. And guys would throw sh shit at me while I was telling. <laughs> like the Blues Brothers. Yeah. The chicken wire. And the cops would come. And, you know, I was, you know, 16. And I'd hide under the stage. And it was, uh, it, it was, it was fun. And then I, and I, you know, my parents would have been horrified. So I would drive and I would touch the YMCA. I was Catholic. I don't want to lie. Touch the edge and then go tell jokes. My dad would go crazy because I couldn't type. 
And I said, you know, my hand hurts. I can't do it. <laughs> I got his deathbed. He said, you know, never understood it. You know, you 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 can't type, but you're very funny. I go, well, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Dad, so just, you, know, <laughs> you rest easy now as you take off. You know. So yeah. So yeah. That's that's true. It was. Um, Nobody knew, you know, or if they did know, they thought I did a good Im- impersonation. Didn't of you it. do the Woody Allen bit about uh, stealing second base? And yeah, feeling, guilty, feeling about- guilty and going back. Right. Yeah, to, right. yeah, stealing second base at at um, at uh, uh, this paranoid camp he right. went to, right. you know. And then Bill Cosby, I did all the football stuff, you know. Pro, this is a kid. Kid, this is a pro. What's the matter with you, boy? Well, I can't get no girls. Yeah, and you ugly too. And oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ, they would go crazy. <laughs> this they is your go- beginning in show business. Yeah, it was fun. And, um, you know, I did uh, theater and stuff. And then I, I, I boxed, I wrestled, um, I played uh, football, I ran track, and uh, then went on to college and kind of did the same thing and told jokes and uh, started writing my own material and, and uh, became a DJ, a uh, sports announcer first. In Charlotte? No, actually in Panama oh, City, oh, Florida. Oh, Florida. I was a high school football announcer and uh, at the junior college and did um, uh, stuff there and then uh, moved to Pensacola and then to Knoxville. And then to Nashville, and then to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then from there Jacksonville, Florida, and then I moved to um, uh, Charlotte again, and back to in the New York. Yeah, I was a big deal in the South. I did basketball, football, told jokes, you know, morning guy, and mm-hmm. all that stuff. I mean, Howard Stern once said that they used to listen to me at ninety nine X before they were, you know, they're Long Island. I remember ninety nine X. Made made fun of everybody, sure. and you know, and Steve Allen came in. It was a big deal for me when he came in, and. Um, he wasn't funny <laughs> at all. You know, he's one of those guys that, and I have comics come on my show now, and it drives me nuts. They, they don't know how to do, like you you know how to do yeah. radio. You're not afraid that you're going to ruin your show that night or whatever the hell it is, right? There are a lot of these comics who are afraid, I guess, if they do their material in conversation, that they can't use it again. And, and you know, the joke is, well, no one's listening to this show. But I've thrown a football and told the same joke on Letterman for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And there are still people that come up to me and or send me the video as if I've never seen it before. Right. And it's been, you know, 10 million hits or whatever. Um, so you can say the same crap over and over. I mean, you do the they, same they, material. <laughs> forever and ever, there, there are also <clears throat> those comedians that come on the radio that unless the interviewer has it prepared. Mm-hmm. Like, and goes like, so I heard you were trapped in an elevator with a gorilla. And it's worse they, than that. Yeah. I will lead them to everything I think they should be working on. So I would go um, to some young comic, you know. I would I would go, what about that war in Iraq? You know, they, must, they must have some jokes about that. Area. You know, uh, hey, how about that traffic out there? I, and I, I say to the my producer, I go, you know, just... Tell me what to ask them, and I will ask you know whatever it is you know got boyfriend troubles or whatever you know um, but a lot of young comics come on and they just you know they don't all the all let's say over forty five years old you know all the they're all beat up and drunk and everything else they don't give a shit you know? so they come on they'll say anything you know I mean. Have you ever heard anyone yell out one of your bits when you started doing it? Oh, yes. Oh, you have? Yeah, yeah. Does that bother you? Uh, yeah, it's annoying. I, I've had opening... Do the Japanese guy for yeah. us. They do that one? I've had opening acts doing no. one of my bits. Yes. <laughs> That's impossible. Yeah, I've heard... I've been sitting in the dressing room hearing the opening act, and they go, oh, that's my bit. <laughs> my God. 
What you are you know? doing in a case like that, now, Gilbert? Now, uh, nothing. Remind them. You, yeah. Hey, do you remember the story of Joe Piscopo getting uh, beaten, beaten up? Yeah. By a mobster. Yeah. Yeah, he was making fun of, and, and he was beaten in the coat room. And he was put in the hospital for three days. Joe and I were really close friends. He had married a woman from um, Fort Walton Beach, Florida. I was a DJ in Jacksonville, and he was going to a college, a kind of a broadcast college there. And he and his roommate would do bits on my nighttime radio show. And so years later, like five or six years later, I end up in New York, and I'm here as a DJ, and I'm here to do my thing, right? And I go to the improv, and there's Joe Piscopo telling jokes. And we'd never met face-to-face, I don't. I don't think. And I went up to him and I said, it's me, you know, Jay Thomas. And I, and he goes, what are you doing? I said, I want to be a stand up." And he got me in there on, on uh, Sunday nights. I guess we started on Sunday nights. Yeah. So Joe got me into the improv. Yeah. That's how we started. Yeah. And I, I remember Joe during that period of muscle man period. It was weird. He used to grease his muscles. Yes. It was odd. It was a weird thing. Why, Why was he beaten up? He uh, yeah, made, a catch. Mo- made a mo- oh, was it catch? I thought it was catch. improv. Oh, catch is where, because he was joking about some guy in the audience. You know, and oh, saying yeah, some, you know, oh, yeah, all, all the mob jokes. All yeah. Of, yeah, like you were doing pushing your nose to the side. Uh, yeah, all that like stuff. You were explaining gangster. that to the, to the yeah, listener. Well, no one's, it's not being filmed. Well, why don't you <laughs> Skype? Yes. Why don't you Skype this? Yes. <laughs> but he's doing all the mob jokes. And what are you, a hitman for the mob? Oh. Turns out he was. was yes. And and then he comes out. Joe is just there at the bar. His name was Nick Slasher Abogato. Yeah. Something like <laughs> no, that. No, even better. Wow. And then he's out at the bar. And out of nowhere, this guy punches Piscopo right in the face. And uh, Just uh, cold cocks him. Yeah, yeah. Rick Newman's great advice is, Joe, run. And he <laughs> makes a run for it. And then Rick Newman visits Joe Piscopo at the hospital, mm. and he's shaking his head back and forth, and he goes, ah, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe Johnny Rip would do a thing like that. Yeah, well, you know what else? No one, no, no cops <laughs> were called, no lawsuits. Yes. Right. No nobody, saw, nobody saw yeah. it. Nobody said anything. Yeah. You know, nowadays, you know, first of all, you tweet it. Oh, yes. Uh, first thing you do, I was beaten tonight, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. by an Italian. Then Joe would get in <laughs> trouble for saying oh, yes. he was a He'd mobster. He'd apologize. <laughs> and by the way, too. he wore black shoes. That's racist. Yeah. He had black shoes on. <laughs> and I, I ran like a Negro. <laughs> That's racist. Yes. And I wanted to go home and get an arrow, put it through his heart. Like an Indian, like a redskin. It would have been all. And I wanted to kill his family like a Puerto Rican. It would have been racist. And I turned yellow like a Chinese. Yes. I was as yellow. I was as yellow as the guy that delivers my food. Oh, yeah. He'd be ruined. He'd be ruined. It's way over 146 characters. Yeah, they were asking me, tweet. Uh, we'd like you to comment on the, uh, the firing of, of Anthony from Opie. And I said, here's my comment. I don't give a shit. I just hope they free up his salary and give me a raise. I don't care. What, what do you think of the Redskins controversy being a football guy? I think he has to change the name, mm-hmm. and I think he must be trying to save on, on I don't know what, what stationery? I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> He's got to change it. But now he's how about, lost, he's how about lost the, his copyright protection. The Radskins. How about go. that? Hey, go. come on, Radskins. Let's go. There's really no fearsome name you can think of. That's the problem. Now, you know? now you 
much like what was the guy on on Married with Children, the uh, originally from Happy Days who killed every show? Oh, uh, I know who you're talking Ted about. Ted something. Ted McGinley. Ted yeah, McGinley. Ted. Yeah, I have that in me. So you were like the Ted McGinley. Yeah. For a while, what shows have you killed? Well, there was a, there was a line of them back, back. But you know, uh, I was I was added to the cast of Hung. Next day, canceled. Um, I did Dennis Miller's TV show, canceled. But literally the next day, yes. I just did the View. Sherry Shepard interviews me. God told her it was over. Did you read that statement? God made the Earth in seven. That's a completion. She's been here seven years. So. So it's over for her, you know. <laughs> That's it. I've watched shows that were canceled. Just sat and why did they cancel the next day? I just saw that show for the first time last night. Now, got a lot of now, power. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now back to the show. Yeah. One show you are put on right at that desperation stage. You know, there are always these series. I have, I have had, I have done that. The desperation, at the shark yeah. jumping. Uh, yeah. What did I? Yeah. What, what, okay. You this know more one. Than me. This was a show that was a big hit at one time, and then they went in for every gimmick and stunt and extra character they could throw in to try to salvage what show? it. show? Mark and Mindy. Well, now wait a second. <laughs> well, he was there for three seasons. Now yeah. wait a second. M- Mork and Mindy was was the number one show because of Robin, and I remember watching it. And I was not. Uh, I'd done some off Broadway stuff and was fooling around with you guys. And so um, I'm watching, you know, Mork and Mindy, and thinking, "Wow, you know, this is crazy." And I get called for an audition, and I was in that group where Jay Leno's face scares children. Have you heard that? Oh yes, that yes. was Mork and Mindy. They looked at his face. They looked, and, and that these were in the days when they flew you out to Hollywood for a screen test. And this is what I remember. I go, and hundreds of guys are trying to get this part of the deli owner. And um, I win the audition here, and they fly me out first class. I'd never been in a first class seat. And I'm working at the radio station at 99X at the time. And they, they, I'm in the first class, and I can't believe there's going to be Chateaubriand and Champagne. I mean, it was when it was yes, big deal. Right? Oh, what? And all of a sudden, they bring in and they lay down two seats next to me, two giant first-class seats, like, right next to me, and the one behind me. So it's me, and now these seats have been leveled. And they bring on a stretcher, and in the stretcher is an old, dying woman that they're transporting... <laughs> From New York to Los Angeles. And they they put her in the, the, the seats next to me. And when I say dying, dying. And so her daughter can't afford the first class seat. So she's in the back. And the daughter comes forward to roll her mother so that she doesn't get any more bed sores. And it's a six-hour flight, and here comes 
here comes the Chateaubriand. <laughs> you know, the, the, the cocktails, the whatever. And every now and again, this almost dead lady fart would come wafting <laughs> through. And then the daughter would come and she would ask me for help and we would move this blanket. <laughs> and the old lady would go, Six hours across the country. Yeah, that's that's it. You can't yeah you, know, you can't write it, make it up, it. nothing. Yeah, it ruined my whole trip. But you get there. I got there. <laughs> I get there, and the audition is like on Monday, and they put me in the Holiday Inn uh, there in Hollywood, and Alien was showing. Okay. And it was pilot season, so all the comics were out there, and 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 Larry David was there, and 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 I think um um. Uh, 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 Rob, uh, Rob, who was the, um, oh God, I, I know him so well too, and I'm forgetting. Robert, um, um, he played the agent on HBO. Oh, uh, Robert, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, we're all forgetting. Oh, from uh, Odenkirk. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Robert Wool. Yeah, Robert Wool's oh, there. Oh, okay, yeah. And they're all starving, and they're all comics, and they're there for pilot season. So, Aliens play, and, you know, this, this movie. So, I'm doing anything to relax myself. I go over and I see these comics that I know. And I get in line, and I see them all. I'm saying hi, and I'm so happy to see them and everything else. There's like eight or nine of them. And I go, um, what do you got? You know, oh, we're all here for pilot season, and we're living in this thing. And I said, oh, well, I'm, I'm here at the, uh, the Holiday Inn. Um, uh, Paramount flew me in, and I'm, I'm screen testing tomorrow. For oh, more wow. Con- yeah. I went and got popcorn. When I turned around, they had dispersed. They were not sitting with me. They uh-huh. were not around me. Uh, that was that. <laughs> so now I go into this unknown f- movie, and I'm, you know, just there, and I can't stand horror movies. I'm scared to death of things. I sit down in the middle next to this, and there was a, a, a black guy next to me. I'm sitting down there. <laughs> when that monster came through John Hurt's chest. <laughs> chest burster, yeah. I grab on to this <laughs> black guy next to me, and I... I don't, I mean, I'm like in his leg, get the fuck off me, man. Are you, yeah. And so I watch Alien, that ruins me. I go back to the room, I wake up, and I read with a series of girls that were going to play my um, uh, sister. And so I pick out the cutest one and immediately want to, you know, fuck her that yeah, night, yes. you know. And I thought, <laughs> we'll be on TV a long time. Why not fuck while we're, while we're doing Seems it? Seems reasonable. They hired the least fuckable woman of the group. <laughs> and she played my sister because she played cards with, you know, Gary Marshall or whatever reason they chose. And then I go do Mork and Mindy. And for some reason, uh, Robin had no interest in me uh, being there. None. He wasn't exactly mean, but he wasn't welcoming. And I know he was all coked up and all that kind of stuff. But instead of me, the character, taking him places and showing Mork, you know, the world or whatever, they did you do a Mork and Mindy? I uh, know. Oh, they would bring in, they, they brought in, um, um, you know, Paul Rubens came in. He was a comic. They would bring in all these comics and they would have the scenes with Robin and I would have two or three lines or whatever. And if I had a show, I thought I did, I did well. So, um, you know, Robin just, you know, wasn't saying, gee, let, let me be with Jay. Right. And so now this first season ends and I'm making like $10,000 a week. Right. And, um, the agent that I'd gotten didn't, 
um, believe or something that I got these big auditions. And I was already in radio. I had an, a lawyer and everything mm-hmm. else. So I called the guy up and said, look, I, I've got a huge audition and you're not really treating this properly. So I'm, um, I'm not going to use you as an agent. And he says, well, I'm going to sue you. I go, well, okay, but, you know, I don't know. So I call this lawyer friend of mine, and I go, you know, this agent guy. He says, well, I know the vice president of Paramount, and my lawyer calls up, and he goes, yeah, we got you the deal and the whole thing. And and so now the, the agent sues, sues us, right? And um, for five, you know, for 10% or whatever it was. And I hadn't signed a contract with him. And in L.A., they make you sign. But in New York, everybody was running around with those. And had I um, uh, won the lawsuit, I would have changed. All these actors could have just stopped working with their agents who they never signed with. So now the union gets involved. Everyone gets involved. And I think I paid the guy 5% for a year. So now I didn't have an agent. I had no one to send a check to. I would stand in line with all of the truck drivers and everyone getting their checks on a Friday night at a window at Paramount. And they were getting eight hundred or a thousand, and this ten thousand dollar check would be handed to me through the window, and I would get this ten thousand dollar check, and I'd I'd made you know sixty seventy grand. Yeah, I made money as a radio. Now I'm making you know, so I would sign a piece of paper and I would go to the bank and put my ten thousand dollars. I didn't even need two shows. The ten thousand dollars gonna last me forever. Sure, ten thousand a week. Yeah. The lawyer guy calls me. I still don't have an agent. I have no agent. You know, I don't even know how to get an agent. I'm on national TV, no agent. He calls up, he goes, oh, and this is what they used to do in Hollywood. They would lower your salary and cut your shows, and of course, you quit. You couldn't, you quit. So the lawyer calls up, he goes, look, you know, they're not as happy with you, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to give you a full season. I go, oh, okay. I'll never, I'm on the phone in my apartment in New York. He goes, yeah, um, instead of doing, you know, 13 uh, or 26 or whatever, they're going to give you um, eight out of 13 shows. And they're going to cut your salary to $9,000 a week. And I go, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy goes, did you hear what I said? (laughs) I said, yeah. Eight times nine is 72. Something like that. Yeah. And you could still get along. It was fine. You didn't need a telethon. And the guy it. kept saying, now, do you want someone to negotiate for you? No, I think this is going fine. I think this negotiation is really going well. And I said, you know, where do I go to get the papers? When I show back up at the set, everyone's like, what? What did he do? Like, we cut his salary. We cut the show. He just okay. He said, all right. You wouldn't take a hint. So I did the next, you know, season. And then in the third year, they fired me and about four of the people. And they hired Jonathan Winters. Yeah, that's what they did. But I, you know, I did 30 shows or something. And, you know, it was in like uh, the whole time I did 14 minutes or whatever. You know, it was weird. You know, I, mean, I wasn't any good either, but but they also didn't really have me ever do one it. of your first acting parts, really, wasn't? Yeah, it? yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd done theater and yeah. stuff, but and I it was it was um, I didn't really do enough work to to get better, you know, to to become a TV actor. Then I came back to New York, went back into radio, and did four or five years of solid theater, <clears throat> and did some more stand up, not a lot, and and really uh, learned how to act. And then when I went back to uh, L.A. again. 
I was replaced by Howard Stern. Um, you know, he learned so much from me that he beat the piss out of me. And, <laughs> well, that, you know. that would go on to happen many times. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah, many yeah, markets. Over and over again. Yeah. And, and so I go out there, and uh, I got on, um, on che- audition for Cheers, and I got on Cheers. Yeah, that's how that happened. So Now, now he was a story I was uh, t- talking with Frank about. <laughs> What? I don't know where he's going, Jake. <laughs> what is it? Now, you you then, you're, you're on Cheers, like yeah. a number one show on the air. Yeah. And Second make, number one show I'm running. Yeah. Yes, yes. Number one. I played a really nice guy, though. I yeah. played a really sweet. Eddie LeBeck. Eddie, really sweet player. And then you went back to your radio show. Number one radio show. Yes. And had some, uh, we're talking about. Um, Rhea Perlman. Rhea Perlman. I would make fun of the character Carla. I mean, everybody did. They were yeah. Carla. And I was being listened to all over L.A., right? And I go to work, and I started noticing she didn't speak to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know? (laughs) And guys would call up, and they go, Hey, you want that collar on her? You know, they got to pay you extra. I go, yeah, I get get battle pay uh, to kiss her, and we rub our our stubble together, you know? Ah, Ha, ha, ha. So one day I'm home, <laughs> phone rings, and it's Jimmy Burrows, the biggest director. Yeah, sure. And I had, um, I'm, I'm in my um, living room, and I, he says, are you sitting down? I'm thinking, I know they're going to add either B.B. Newworth or me as a main character, because I was a re- recurring, but I recurred a lot. Oh, cover a TV guide, mm-hmm. one-hour specials. We did it all. We had children together. We had everything. And he goes, uh, well, and he goes, now, this isn't because of Rhea. <laughs> but he opens with. Right, so you know it. <laughs> and, he's, and I go, you mean I'm not coming? No, you're not coming back. Uh, blah, 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 blah. So it's kind of quiet for a minute. And I go, well, okay. Um, I think he reiterates, you know, this isn't for Rhea. Because of Rhea. And I go, okay. And so then it's quiet. And he goes, um, do you want to know how we're going to get rid of you? And I go, Okay, and he goes, <laughs> well, we find out you're a bigamist and and you're you're such an old beat-up hockey player that you're run over and killed by a Zamboni machine, which goes like half a mile an hour and cleans the ice. And he starts dying laughing on the phone. And, and you were traded to the Pittsburgh Penguins, which we know, but it's the Ice Capades Penguins, and we're going to bury you in your penguin suit. And this is how much of an actor I am. You want me in the coffin? You know, I would have gone back yeah. for another well, yeah, for course. another nine grand. I'd have gone back <laughs> and died and been dead, scene. like Sherry friggin' Shepherd. You know, I <laughs> hung around. <laughs> oh, they canned me out. You know, oh, you fired me. Well, I'll, give me some makeup. I'll be back out in a minute. Yeah. Your, your old buddy Kenny, Ken Levine did a funny blog about uh, about the death of Eddie LeBeck. Yeah, yeah. Recently, yeah. Then he went on to be a big uh, baseball a baseball guy for the yeah, Padres. Something or other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you killed one show. <laughs> I've been <laughs> killed on another. I've show. been killed. Yeah, it's all happened. It's all happened. I, and you, but you won an Emmy. Two. Two Emmys. Nominated three times. Okay, one was Murphy Brown. Two, all three, all of them. Oh, all were Murphy Brown. So now I lose my job at Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> back to the radio. And I was doing other yeah. episodics. But, yeah, back, I was on the radio. And. Um, and, you know, and I would make fun of it on the air. You know, I was playing, you know, dance music. I mean, 
Every Mexican in L.A. listened to me, and my car was parked immediately <laughs> when I pulled up. I couldn't get into the club, but my car was waiting for me when I came out. So, um, no, like I tell Bandia. They don't have only us. And uh, so. Now apologize to Mexicans. I am Mexican. My mother's black. I'm not apologizing. Oh. <laughs> People, how can you make fun of Black. My mother's black. And she has those big immigrant nipples. <laughs> big. They look like that hard sausage that you buy in the Italian deli. Ones you cut. You have like dots all over. <laughs> um, <laughs> Goddamn, George. <laughs> you made me choke on my own shit here. Um, so, um... They they send you a script. This happened with West Wing too, um, and you know I was kind of known, and no one knew what happened to Cheers. But you know it wasn't like yeah, Twitter or whatever. So <clears throat> I go in, and and um, they'd been on the air for a few years at Murphy Brown, like two or three years or whatever, um, and they were looking for a um, a guy to be in the uh, office or something like that who was kind of a an overbearing asshole. So I come in, and the, all the people there, and a director I knew from New York was there, and a guy that had direct, direct, Barnett Kelman was his name. And Diane English is there, and they're all there. And so I come in, and I begin firing like an asshole completely. I looked at Barnett, and I go, I thought you were dead. You know, I did all kind of all that shit, you know. And, you know, I animated he had AIDS or something. He was very skinny, you know, you know, uh, you know whatever. And... Uh, I get back to the car or get the phone and the, and my agent goes, well, what did you do uh, over there? What happened over there? I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, they don't, they don't, you're not being called back and they don't want you like to come back over there. <laughs> I go, well, no, I was, I was playing the character. You know how they go, well, yeah, he sure. came in, he, well, he was sure. bald, bald headed. He brought a knife with him. He, we hired him as the killer. Yeah. You know, you were doing a little method. Dead. Completely, you know, get out of here. So, other stuff happened. I do, you know, other work and everything else. And a few years passes. And they have another character named Jerry Gold that no one saw, but it was the nemesis of Murphy Brown, the left-wing uh, news announcer. And Jerry Gold uh, was, uh, uh, you know, like uh, Bill O'Reilly or somebody, right? Morton Downey Jr. was the guy back then. Mm -hmm. So they go, we got to get somebody in here. And they go, hey. Remember that asshole, Jay Thomas? That Yeah, let's get him back. I swear to God. So <laughs> they call my agent, and he says they must have forgotten that they read you <laughs> three or four years ago, but go in anyway, you know. I go in, I am nervous. I'm completely nervous. So they give me the script, and I, I read, and it's dead silence. And they go, "What? what is, what's that? What is that? I go, they go, act like you did before. I go, what do you mean? When you said he was going to die of AIDS and <laughs> all this kind of, sh <clears throat> all this kind of shit. And so I just acted like that in the game of the job. They wanted you to go off script. <clears throat> they wanted me to act like an asshole. I see. So that's what happened. And now I did that. I got called for the West Wing. <clears throat> I choked on a guy. I should, why am I eating during an interview? Um, <clears throat> I, uh, Rob Lowe was sitting in the lobby sweating bullets and because of that video or whatever he hadn't worked in a long time and and he had been called back four or five times i'm so well known i was just called back for the final auditions for west wing 
to play some guy in the White House. And my agent's going, you know, it looks like it'd be you and two other guys, no sweat. <clears throat> so Rob is out there sweating. <clears throat> I say, hey, man, what's going on? He goes, hey, I'm back five times. I don't know what's going to happen. I go, shit, you know, they ought to hire you. I go into this room full of people. <clears throat> John Wells is there, you know. Sorkin probably had done like a half a gram of Coke, and he's sitting up in the audience up there, West Wing. <laughs> and I go, before I enter, uh, audition, <clears throat> I'd like to say I think you should hire Rob Lowe. And this room full of people goes, <clears throat> why? I go, because he has a huge cock. <laughs> You'd seen the tape. And if you see the video, you see the girl right here, a big squiggly line. And Rob is right here. And they threw me out of the audition. I get back to a phone and my agent goes, what did you what did you do in there? <laughs> <laughs> I I drove back to Santa Barbara and we moved. We moved away. We moved to the East Coast. I'm not joking. Wow. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Even today the casting director will hug me and say, That's the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. It ruined you, but it was the greatest. <laughs> yeah. But how did you manage to get the part? <clears throat> I didn't from this. <clears throat> I didn't get the part. Yeah, that was that famous Rob Lowe with the two girls. Yeah, and they told they didn't even want me on the lot. It was like weird because that's all that was their problem. They couldn't decide <clears throat> whether they should hire this nice looking guy to play the part or if this video thing would play into it, but no one would say it. So I said it. Did Rob ever contact you and say We uh, know each other. I did a little movie for him. Yeah. I never told him yeah. I did this, but maybe maybe he's heard it. I don't know. It's wow. not a it's not a a story I tell on talk shows. You just did. <laughs> well, in this one, I yeah. would. Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to hear it? No one. No one at all. Who's going to fucking hear this? Now, now, you've worked a lot with... I could choke and die here. And you know what? It, it would be like in the old days when they, when they go like this. President Adams, what? The war is over. They signed the treaty a month ago. Oh, wonderful. That's how long it takes, you know, the information. <laughs> The treaty was signed. <laughs> France surrendered. Win. Two years ago. Oh, thank God. Bring our troops home. <clears throat> you know, they're still fighting and the ships are going over. Now, you, you've worked with and are friends with uh, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, I did uh, Mr. Holland's Opus, and then he would hire me uh, to, do, to do stuff. And, and he was doing a drama at PBS, and he got hurt. <clears throat> and... Um, he, uh, they go, well, Richard, what are we going to do? You know, and we, another scene, we, we can get another actor. And he goes, yeah, I think you ought to bring Jay Thomas in. And all of these <laughs> dramatists at PBS, they go, Jay Thomas? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, that's who I want to, <clears throat> to replace me. And um, they called me up, and I had 103 fever. And the director calls me up and goes, hey, what are you doing? I go, oh, man, I'm really sick. I'm I'm in bed. He goes, yeah, I'm doing this thing with uh, Richard there in uh, New York. And that's um, ah, too bad. They'd like you to come. And I go, you you mean to, to be on the show? I go, how much? $10,000. <laughs> I said, that's my number. I, I, I got up, got in an airplane, burning in fever, and flew on. And then he did a, a, a play and stuff. And um, then he did a show called the... Uh, 
Education of Max Bickford with uh, Marsha Gay Harden. And if you go on my, uh, uh, my jthomas.com, uh, uh, Jay it's Richard Dreyfus and Marsha Gay Harden and me, you know, the two Academy Award winners. Yeah, I mean, um, he was great to me. Really wonderful. That, and, was, a great, and he, that was a great show. Max yeah, Bickford said it was canceled. good. And, and, you know, they didn't they, promote it. They shouldn't have canceled it. It was good. But, you know, that's what they did. So. It, it's funny because Dreyfus has that image that of being like like the actor. Yeah, yeah, and he's a great guy, and he and yeah. he, he he was um, uh, loved working with me on Mr. Holland's Opus, and um, uh, there was a, a play ring, and I I had uh, owned a screenplay for a while, and he came and did the reading for me, and all. He was wonderful, you know. I mean, it was it was great, and then the PBS thing was a big deal for me. So, know? like, not at all full of himself. <laughs> no, just no. a great guy. He once flipped a car on Sunset, and when <laughs> they got there, the Coke was falling out of his pocket. <laughs> Like, you know, and I think after that, he got straight. He straightened up. <laughs> there's there's a lesser known films that I love him in. There's a film Once called, Around. Yeah, is Once the, Around is wonderful. One of my Lost, favorite Lost films. Lost Hallstrom film. Yeah. And also The Big Fix, which you can't find, which is a, a film noir, where he a modern day film noir, where he I, plays I a private eye. I seen that, but I think Once Around is one of the... Uh, He's great in it. Yeah, With Holly he, Hunter. He said to me, Once Around hurt my career because uh, he plays such an obnoxious guy that he said people thought I was like that. And I said, maybe that's my problem, uh, you know, because I really am obnoxious. You know, what's funny, I think people think I'm going to act weird on a set, which I've never done. I've never, you know, I do my work, and I'm doing a play now, My which my son wrote the music for, called Somewhere With You, um, on 40 Seconds. You just go to Somewhere With You. And I do Ray Donovan, also, on Showtime. Now, is yeah. there any chance, or is that strictly for Letterman? What of the Lone Ranger story? No, I don't. I'll tell you the after story. Okay, yeah, uh, everybody knows it. You can go online and see yeah. the original. Yeah. It, okay. uh, you know, um, it's a treat for people that don't know it. Jay does it every year on the Letterman show. They know. At Christmas. Oh, somebody okay. knows it. And but uh, but the Lone Ranger. I opened car dealerships. I was a disc jockey, and you can see the whole the whole thing. And so uh, after it's over, there was a there was a car wreck, and the Lone Ranger helps me and my stoned friend out of this situation. So we get back in the car, and and we're driving the Lone Ranger back to this hotel, motel, in Charlotte, North Carolina, right? Uh, and so we're so thankful he helped us out of this wreck situation. And we get him back to the Red Roof Inn or whatever, and is there anything we can do for you, uh, Mr. Uh, Moore? And he goes, uh, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> could there be any, um, perhaps, entertainment or... Or... <laughs> or or, or, and we go, we realize he wants a chick. And he's wearing the mask and the hat. The whole he's thing. wearing the mask and the hat. <laughs> the full Lone Ranger. Yeah. Get up. I, I just recently, his, his daughter contacted me to tell me how I kept her father's memory alive. I said, well, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to ruin your father's memory for you. And I told her this story. Um, I said, so Mike and I knew this girl. Her name was Melanie, and her last name is a color. You can pick whatever color you want. It's a color. And she liked to screw celebrities that came to town. And we would call her up, and we would go, Melanie, you know, um, you know, Cheech and Chong are in town. <laughs> She'd go, fuck Cheech and Chong. You know, <laughs> Melanie, um, Tony Orlando is in town. Suck Tony Orlando, you know. Tie a yellow ribbon around my dick, you know. Uh, so, you know, and you knew Melanie was there. 
So we call Melanie up, you know, and the Lone Ranger, the, the show had been off the air for quite a while. Sure. And she was, you know, much younger than we were. And so I go, Melanie, <clears throat> we're, we're in front of the Red Roof Inn right now. And the Lone Ranger <laughs> is in town. And it's dead silent. <laughs> and she goes, really? I go, yes. And he, we've told him all about you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I said, look, we're going to come get you. And she was a lovely girl. Her father was like a big realtor or whatever. And she would bring girls to me who had never had an orgasm. And I would make sure they'd still never had one. Uh, but would work, would work with them. Would work with them. Um, and so, um, you know what works? You get Tupperware. And you know when you click it? You put their clit in there and you click it. And it works. Somebody got a pen? Yeah. Write it down. So uh, I, I, uh, so we, we go get Melanie. We bring her back to the Red Roof Inn. And I say, look, we're going to go out to this radio station. And I'm going to get the William Tell Overture. I'm going to bring it back to my apartment. And after you're done, we're going to come get you. You will not speak. And you will come into the apartment. We're going to play. And you will tell us everything that happened when you entered that room. We wait, you know, about an hour, hour and a half. Get back to my apartment. I make sure, you know, this is, you know, turntables and all that. My friend and I, we take showers. We get ready. The phone rings. We go get her. Don't speak. Don't speak. We get her back. And she goes, I went to the door and he opened it up and he had on a blue robe that looked just like the Lone Ranger outfit. And he wore these glasses that looked just like the mask. I said, what? He dressed just like the Lone Ranger, except in casual wear. So she comes into the room and he has food and everything. And she said, he had equipment. I said, equipment. <laughs> He had, and you know, we didn't know from vibrators. Right. You know, we didn't sell a bullet. We used our penises. We didn't, you know, you, know, you want to vibrate, we shake our dick a little bit. You know what I mean? You know, you know, put a, put a fucking, you know, electric toothbrush up your ass. That was about the amount of whatever. So, so she goes, he was, he was wonderful. And when he takes his robe off, finally, he has pajamas that are the same color as the Lone Ranger, you know, outfit. And he made love to her, and he vibrated her, and did all of these things. And meanwhile, in the background, silver. Yeah, that's a true story. Fascinating. How old is Clayton Moore at this point when this is happening? He's, He's not probably a, the, the um, show was on in the fifties. Yeah, I, I guess he was in his uh, late sixties or whatever, which then was old. Now, of course, sixties the new not dead yet. <laughs> wow, <It's> over <laughs> to get you to laugh like this. I, I can't tell you what a what a thrill it is to get you to laugh. Okay, wow, what an honor to hear the the, the after story. Yeah, the after story. Never been told. Yeah. Now we were talking. No commercials, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> Gilbert and I were talking. Who would the Who would the fuck sponsor this? We We got one. A rug company. <laughs> Hi, Melvin's Rugs. I'm Melvin. We got one offer. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> you want to ask uh, uh, Jay about yeah. Darva Conger? <laughs> oh. oh my God! Yes. How to ma- Well, there's yeah. a new show on called. Uh, um, Married at First Sight. It's right, that's brand- right. We just talked about it on yeah. The View, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's really um, 
And, you know, before it's over, they're running out of ideas. Let's watch Retards Fuck. It's coming. It's coming. Anytime now. But um, so they hire me. They, they call up, and uh, Buckwall's my agent, and they go, Billy Crystal's turned him down, and this person's turned him down, and they're trying to get someone to host this show where, they, where a multimillionaire guy is married to someone he's never met. I go, oh, my God, I'm, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, I'm working in <clears throat> New York. I'm, I'm doing great, and I don't want to do that. So a week passes. They can't find anyone to do it. And the, the number goes up to, like, 100 grand for, like, two or three days. And I go, Jesus. And my agent says, let's take the money. No one will ever see this thing. So I go to Vegas. I bring my whole family. We rehearse, and there's all these women, and they're vying for this so-called multimillionaire. The guy owes $2 million. Rick Rockwell. Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah. And he's friends with Heidi Fleiss's brother, who's the producer. Uh-huh. Can you get any sleazier than that? <laughs> so they do this show, and, 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 and it's, it's happening, and, and it's live. And this judge, after watching it for like two or three hours, who's going to perform the wedding, says, I want to leave. I don't want to do that. I go, you can't leave. You cannot leave. So now all they get down to eight or ten girls, and Darva Conger was just a bitch, right? Being a bitch, no one has seen the uh, multimillionaire, and he's hidden behind a, in a bubble, like in a, sh- a shroud. So at one of the breaks, I run behind the shroud, and I go, "Whatever you do, don't marry the blonde." And he looks up. He's shocked. You know, no one, you know, the security around him, he goes, oh, that's the one I liked. I go, don't, don't. And I go, "Ah." (laughs) and the producers get mad at me. And he goes, why not? I go, she is a bitch. So I go back. Well, he chooses Darva (laughs) Khan. And he tongue kisses her. And she is in shock. Now, she was there playing the game with everybody, and he says to her, you know, Jay told me you were a bitch and not to marry her. Oh, you know, don't help me. Don't help me. Any. So they get married. She cries all the way to, to Hawaii. He brings a buddy of his and another woman. They're all drinking and acting crazy, and Darva Conger is sorry, and she is married to this guy. And they go to Hawaii, and it, and it, and it blew up in their faces, and then they said that he had you know, threatened a girlfriend or something. Who knows if it was untrue. And, and the president of Fox said, we will never, ever do a show like this again. Well, he was, he's no longer with us. Um, and, and they canceled the show. And then, you know, uh, it had a life afterward, right? And I went on every show there was to go on. And, and Darva Conger and I would appear as a person she hated. And she started saying, well, I wasn't, didn't want to really do it. And I would go, why, why are you lying? You did want to do it. So what? I live in Santa Barbara. She ends up as a nurse, an emergency room nurse in Santa Barbara. Had I ever been really injured (laughs) and bleeding? Can you imagine they're taking me into the fucking thing and there's Darva Conger, you know, turning the oxygen off or whatever. And, you know, I think she is still a nurse someplace. I think her sister's like a big realtor in, in Santa Barbara. But um, that was really the first reality show. That really was. And, and I remember. And that she, was canceled. Yeah. So there you yep. go. That yep. was canceled. She kept saying she wanted her old life back. And then she posed for a play. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> of course. All of yeah. Yeah, it was weird. And there was such really, there was a girl from Washington who was a little bit overweight with braces. And I said to him, I said, marry her. She will be so happy. You know, a girl with braces with a couple of pounds on her. You know, this she'll be faithful, you know. Uh, that show would have run forever. Now, 
a buddy of mine comes over at like 7.30, quarter to 8. We're going to dinner. It's the night the show's going to run. We, we taped it like a week before. I really am not going to watch it, right? But some friends of mine had gone, and they stayed for the four-hour taping. And I said, okay, you know, I couldn't believe it. So they edited it and all that. And my friend says, what show is it? I said, it's this crazy show where a multimillionaire just marries this woman. And he goes, well, let's, let's watch it. So we like smoke a joint, you know, and we get some cocktails. And <clears throat> I turn on the TV. And after about 45 minutes, we cannot leave the apartment. It's, that, it's that riveting. He's turned me going, oh, my. Meanwhile, the show opens up with 3 million people. Second half hour, 6 million. Third or fourth half hour. It ends with over 20 million viewers. People are calling, you got to watch this show. And I go, oh, my God, this is it. <laughs> this, I did it. You know, and they, within three days, it was canceled. You know, O'Reilly wanted me on because this was the end of civilization as we know it. All this another end of civilization. Yes, another end. You know, by him. But um, yeah, that went nowhere. But it was fun. It was fun. And man, I got paid a hundred grand for like two days. I mean, that was like being in some big stand-up. No one would do the show. No one. (laughs) No one was wild. I had a tuxedo. The New York Times had me on the front page, emceeing it, and they reviewed it and said it was all awful. And they said, but Jay Thomas somehow watched it with us almost away from it in a, in bemused horror. <laughs> now I've been acting a long time and I don't even know how to play bemused horror. I don't even know it was a compliment. It was, yeah. it was. And so that really kind of put me kind of in a, you know, yeah, I was bemused. I was horribly bemused uh, by it all. Yeah. I would have done it forever for years. You know, and been very rich. It's still infamous. <laughs> it is. Now, and you worked with Woody Allen. Yeah, Woody wrote a play <clears throat> called Writer's Block. Uh, it was kind of like um, uh, the one <clears throat> Purple Rose of Cairo, where the where there's characters and then all they're, they're really characters in a play, and then real people come in. And so <clears throat> the agent calls. She says, "Look, you know." She calls. She said, "Look, don't fool around with him. Don't do anything. <clears throat> don't make jokes." You know, and uh, his uh, casting director forever is a Jane something or other. She's been with him forever. Is it Julia Taylor? <clears throat> Somebody or other, I yeah. forget. So I go in the room and they, they give you two pages. And um, and so, you know, I don't really know much about it. So Woody is there and um, he's got his head down and his hands are over his face and he's got that hat on. And Chevy Chase is waiting in the lobby. Chevy's there. And he, every comic, every actor, everybody's reading for this part. And Chevy is shaking. He's so nervous. It's really weird. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, I I read for a lot of stuff, so it's okay. So I go in and I begin to read. And apparently it's the wrong script. It's, it's, you know, an old version or whatever. So I hear Woody say, he's reading the wrong script. script." And I go, you can talk up. I can hear you. (laughs) So he looks up and keeps his hands like over his head. And, and, and so the woman says, um, Jay, they, they've given you an old script and, and we really want to give you, you know, something else to read. Would you like to leave the room and look at it and come back? I go, that's the oldest trick in the book. I'm not leaving the room, okay? And they're going, oh, this guy's fucking around. And I go, and I go, look at me when I talk to <laughs> And I get the thing and I read. 
And um, I leave. And Chevy goes in after me. And I'm not two blocks away. And they gave me the part. I mean, I couldn't believe it. So I start doing the play. And it's me and B.B. Newworth, Paul Reiser was in it, and a cast of other actors who sadly, I, names I don't remember. But um, And so Woody's the director. And everybody's all excited about it. And then the actors turned on him after about two weeks, you know. It's really weird, you know. Theater actors are strange. Interesting. They really kind of turned on him. It was an okay play. Everybody came to it. Um, Grant Shoud was in it. He had quit um, Murphy Brown to do free plays in, in Ireland or something. He would he would have diuretic shit and vomit before every performance. <laughs> and and we're, we're in a little room. And, and the bathroom is like right there, like in a comedy club. <laughs> And we're all getting our makeup, and we're here before the show. And he would eat sushi. He would eat sushi. So Woody, Woody would come in, you know. The director of a play is there all the time. Woody would come in. There's nobody to buffer him. He's there, right? He never directed a play. In a movie, he can buffer himself with the AD or whatever. And he would come in, and he would go, uh, I, you know, I want to give you know your notes and all that. And, and so Grant would hand him and say, would you like some sushi? And Woody would take a clipboard, put it over his mouth and, and, and go, it would say, Woody, do you want some? He go, want some? I'm sorry I'm in the same room with it. <laughs> he would say shit like that. And I would fucking die laughing. Woody Allen. And then Soon Yi with the two kids. They were both, you know, Chinese adoptees. So I've got the scandal right in front of me, right? And I am just in my glory. And I've always said this. People go, oh, you know, he married his stepdaughter. I just watched their relationship for a while. Whatever hell there is, she's it on earth. And, and, you know, she runs the whole thing. I mean, she is not like some shrinking violet that was, I don't know what, seduced by, you know, Woody Allen. But we had a great time. He was really fun and a great guy. And um, everybody came, you know, to the thing. Not one of us got a job out of it. Not one of us. That's all we did. And he never put any of us in a movie. Why, why were people turning on him? It's weird, you know. Um, we, we learned, everybody learned their lines or whatever. They thought that, that Woody wanted us to learn our lines too quickly. And you're supposed to learn your lines while you're doing the blocking or whatever. And, and maybe he was saying, then he fired a woman who wasn't funny and he brings in another really beautiful, better actress. And that was, uh, Gerwitz, whatever her name is. Uh, she wrote the book about oh, being Anna, fired. Anna, Annabelle Gerwitz. Anna, well, she wrote the book about being fired right. and, and that That's was right. from the Woody Allen thing. You know, um, and then B.B. Uh, uh, Newworth acted really weird, was playing my wife. And if she wasn't getting a laugh, she wouldn't do the line, you know, and stuff like that. It was, you know, it's theater people. And then they were bickering backstage. And then they all hated her. And I she was playing my wife, so I was trying to be nice. And then one day I said something to her. She yells at me and all the other cast members, you see? I'm going, oh, you know, yeah, it's weird. I mean, even in the little play I'm doing, I can see if we're there for another few months, which we're only going to be there for a week or so. Yeah, theater, theater actors. Are, imagine comics every night for a year, every night, the same four or five people doing the same thing every night. They need to make drama. They need to well, cause they trouble. Drive off it in some way. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, after a while, you're driving a bus. You know, you learn the lines, you learn the blocking, you know where the laughs are, where the, where the crying is, whatever it is. And now you need to, you know, pick up the stakes a little bit. 
you know, my mother, my son, my boyfriend, my what, you know, whatever. Yeah, backstage is wild. So still a pretty cool journey for a kid from a small town in Texas to wind up being in a Woody Allen. Place. I didn't stay in that town for a year. But you were born there. <laughs> yeah, I was born there. Yeah, but Not- even New Orleans. Just to- New Orleans is a big it's, town. It's-, it's a big town. So with Woody Sunyi was oh insane. man, runs the show. Yeah, he runs the whole deal. Well, you know, I mean, he, you know, he was an old man at the day. He was like, well, let's see, he was sixty-eight. He's in his seventies now. Maybe he was seventy. I don't know. It was like ten years ago, so he's almost eighty. But Jesus Christ, he marries his stepdaughter, which is so weird, and then defends it. You know, I don't think he did anything. His funniest line was he couldn't have done anything with the daughter because they did it in an attic. And, you know, he's claustrophobic. And he says, I've never been in an attic in my life. <laughs> you know that? Do you know that? No. He's never been in an attic no. in his life. And, and it's true. He, he would, if, if somebody sneezed or whatever. So one day, you know, um, um, we were talking or something like that. And I said, well, you know, Woody, I'm from, I'm from New Orleans. So you got to keep your eye on me because, you know, sometimes I like to go cause he plays clarinet in New Orleans all the time. And he said, you know, I like, oh, I'm going to see you in New Orleans and all that. And I go, yeah, yeah, sure. So I said, you know, but you know, yeah, you better keep your eye on me because I could, you know, I could get drunk and just not show up. You know how people in New Orleans yeah. are, right? So one day I'm late. I'm can't catch a cab or whatever. And I'm like late. And cell phone's not working or whatever. So they're waiting for me and waiting for me. And someone says, you know, we don't know where Jay is. And Woody says, he's probably laying drunk in a gutter. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Uh, he's a, he, and, and he writes every morning uh, from 7 o'clock to like 2 in the afternoon. And this old 1940s typewriter. Yeah. Every yeah. Single day, yeah. Now, well, now, what are your feelings about the all the rumors spread about him? <clears throat> I, I don't think he did anything with the the, the daughter, I, and I mean that about yeah. Them. But you know, if you look at the movies, if you look at Manhattan, um, you know there was. A, I, I think you know there are rumors that that Scarlett Johansson fucked him. If you can imagine, I mean, this guy apparently says something or does something, and and women find him attractive. You know, and he's funny and. And all that. Um, he's also a really good athlete. Did you know that? Yeah. Di- Di- Diane Keaton came on The View and talked <clears throat> about how virile he was. There you go. And, and a terrific, uh, like, baseball player and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's like you. I mean, there's your wife sitting over there who is much lovelier than any human being who looks like you <laughs> should be with. So, and, you know, I was wondering if the first night you fucked it, Aflac give her some sort of, you know, coverage, you know. In case she died of fright, you know, um, you know, you, you look like a porn star from Auschwitz, uh, you know, with your clothes off. But um, really, uh, so th- there is something to be said to the power of comedy. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it um, it was it was something to be around him, and you know, I've been around you know a lot of famous people for a short amount of time. We talked about Dreyfus and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, not as many as a lot of, you know, character actors and all, but I'm a storyteller, so I remember everything. He was very complimentary. He wrote me two really wonderful notes after the fact. And um, all, all I can really say is, is that you can't imagine it, but who knows what, you know, uh, uh, demons drive people. I have no idea, you know, but it seems hard to imagine. But still, he fucked his 
stepdaughter. <laughs> no way around it. At 17 years old. I mean, you know, or whatever it was. And she put a naked picture of herself up, and that's how Mia Farrow. Now, Mia Farrow is supposed to be, <clears throat> you know, crazy also. So, And they never lived together. They lived across that's the right. park that's from right. each other. You know? So, so yeah. And, you know... You want him to put you in, put you in one of their movies and all that. And he never never. I don't. I, don't, I mean, I think um, um, BB's been in one already, but I don't know that he used anybody from the from the play. So um, yeah, it was disappointing. I wish he'd put me in in one of the movies. It would have been fun, you know. He'd go to cut a line sometimes. Not one of mine. He'd just go to cut a line. And, you know, I, I can't help myself. I would go, oh, don't cut that. It's fucking hysterical. <laughs> well, I guess I can't when you say it like that, you know. And he would put it back in. I mean, he really is a little kind of a nebbish right. guy. Wouldn't he, wouldn't he ask the actors if you have a better line? Put Just pitch, not, pitch, not, pitch the line? Not really, but, you know, these not many actors are any good. When they say, oh, they're doing a movie and the actors are going to add, are going to improv or whatever. Oh, please. Yeah. Actors are not. Good ad-libbers, you know? I mean, some comics are bad ad-libbers, you know? They have to have their written material. They saw something. They they work it, you know? So so the worst thing you can do is have an actor ad-lib a line, you know? I mean, I kind of do it for a living, so I, I'm allowed it. I will throw lines in a play, but if you don't use it, it's okay, mm-hmm. you know? Now, and I've just given myself a great compliment, which is true. Uh, so I'm just kind of good at throwing stuff when I'm doing a part, even if it's a drama, you know? So... Um, so I would, I would add a few things, but nobody else said anything. Most actors don't say much, you know, about, about the lines. And it, it seems like working with Woody Allen is kind of like working with Neil Simon. Like, why would you, you know, it would be like sacrilege. Yeah. I, and that's how they felt. And, and I would say things and they would, they would go, you know, the other actors would, would, would be shocked by that. But what the fuck? It's a, it's a collaboration. You know, maybe in a movie, you know, you find in some of Woody's movies, everyone acts like him. You know, they have the same. Uh, oh, especially when there's the fill-in characters like John Cusack and, and yeah, Bullets begin to, Over Broadway. And yeah, they begin to act like Well, Bullets Over Broadway, he has, um, you know, uh, uh, Chaz Palminteri. Right. And, you know, the story about Chaz and uh, Bronx Tale is that he... You know, Chaz can barely write his name. Uh, really, another guy who ended up being one of the writers on The Sopranos really wrote and put it together. It is his story. And so when he hired Chaz, if you go back and look at this, these, there are plenty of guys that dislike Chaz because he made a three-picture deal and left out, uh, I forget the guy's name, Joe Rizzuli or whatever. And, and then Chaz really couldn't write, couldn't write anything. And then he hires Chaz Palminteri to play a guy who ends up writing a script for someone who really can't write. And, and you know, it makes everybody wonder, did Woody ever hear that? See, I think Blue Jasmine is a streetcar named Desire. It's not Madoff. Yeah. It's a street. Yeah. And when you watch it, and if you, you see it, she's playing Blanche yeah. Dubois. There are a lot of echoes and, of it. And it's weird. It's like, it's just so obvious to me, but, you know, who am I? So I think that Woody is a sponge. And I think Woody watches TV. I think he read scandal things and all that. I think you read everything that was said about him in, in his, in his privacy. Yeah, I do because it comes out, you know? And so I think he also showed himself with the young chicks in the, in the movies, which, you know, so what? That's cool. Chaplin did it. <clears throat> yep. Sure did. He had to move to England, but he did it. <laughs> did the fuck a young girl with bad teeth. Now you also worked with Eli Wallach. Yes, we were on the steps. We're doing a show. Uh, um, John Turturro played uh, Howard Cosell, 
and I played the president of the NFL. I played, played Pete Rozelle. And Totoro, um, uh, it was called uh, Monday Night Mayhem. And uh, Eli Wallach is playing um, one of the bigs in the, in the NFL, one of the owners that I have to deal with. And we're shooting, and it's snowing uh, at, the, at the Plaza Hotel. And it's getting late. And, you know, he's, I guess Eli died in his 90s, right? I worked with Eli uh, two or three times. I did Max Pickford with him also. So um, I'm standing on the steps. I'm, I'm excited I'm doing this movie. You know, Totoro's a big deal. I'm there working. So I turn to Eli and I say, um, um, so, so Eli, um, it's Academy Award winner, you know, everything. I go, uh, so it's wonderful to, to, you know, be with you in this, in this movie. I go, do you, do you work? You know, I don't work much. I just kind of do shit like this. (laughs) (laughs) I do pieces of, pieces of shit like you're in. But, you know, he, he meant it, but it yeah. was a throwaway. Yeah, and sure. I'm, I'm on the steps going, yeah, I hope you get fucking pneumonia and die. <laughs> 90-year-old fucking relic, you know. Hung on to 98. Yeah, 98 yeah, years old. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, my kids, I think, are waiting downstairs. So, You want to tell us what the play is again, Jay? Yeah, um, my son is a, a songwriter who wrote five number one records in the last few years. A Chesney, um, a Jake Owen, um, uh, he wrote uh, uh, writes for Keith Urban and uh, and he wrote a, a song for a guy named Uncle Cracker with Uncle with other guys too called Smile, which was a, like kind of the happy of, of its time. And a buddy of his from high school became a, um, a guy named Peter Zinn became a producer and a writer. And he took all of his music plus a bunch of new ones and they wrote a Southern Iraq Army meth addict uh, musical. And it's it's playing at these it's festival on Forty Second Street. It's called Somewhere with You. It's a it's a musical festival, and it's oh, it's the lead of the festival. And they hired me to play three um, uh, small parts. I play uh, the dad of the lead. I play uh, a guy that uh, that works at a, owns a club, and I play a, a Iraqi insurgent at the end of the play. And it's a it's a it starts as a comedy and becomes a drama. And I I believe it's either going to go to a big Broadway uh, off Broadway house or go to Broadway. I mean, think about it. It's a country musical with hit songs in it. You know, it's, and it's it, you know, you do a play. You don't know what's going to be. It's really good. And if you guys are in New York, but it's called Somewhere With You, and I think it'll go on. Somewhere With You. And again, yeah. what theater? Uh, right now, it's at the Alec, uh, Alice um, Griffin Jewel Box on, uh, it's a little 200-seat theater, but it's fun. Yeah. So that's it. And then I'm doing Ray Donovan. I have another couple of Ray Donovan of was Lev Schreiber. Yeah, I play Marty... Uh, Goldman or whatever, but I'm really playing uh, the guy from TMZ. Uh, oh, uh, Harvey Levin. Yeah, I'm playing Harvey. I'm, I'm gay, and I have, you know, gay boyfriends, and, and Donovan runs over him every week, runs another one of my boyfriends over and threatens me. With, I'm always, uh, you know, st- getting crap on his clients, you know, so it's cool. It's cool. Good. I play a good gay asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> And if they said for ten grand, suck a dick, I would do it. Ten grand still the number? It's the number. Well, it used to not be. Now it's back to that number again. All right, I gotta go. This was great. Okay. <laughs> this, Thanks, Jay. <laughs> to make Gilbert Godfrey laugh is like unbelievable. To me. Uh, this has been Gilbert Godfrey's amazing colossal podcast. With my sidekick, Frank Santo Padre, and a, a man who's a success 
in radio, movies, Everything. TV, Emmy winner. <laughs> Game shows, reality shows. That you'll have to still tell people, who, who was he again? What did he Jay do? Thomas, <laughs> who's, who's taken a few shows off the air, too. Yes. <laughs>